Welcome to Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Fern Ronay, and we are here with Kristen Hanna, award-winning and best-selling author of The Nightingale. Stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Welcome to Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Fern Ronay, and we are here with award-winning and best-selling author, Kristen Hanna. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. I know that you've heard this before, but I loved The Nightingale. It was extraordinary. Um, and a lot of other well-known authors and celebrities have praised it um, immensely. But I wanted to read you a couple of tweets that are the true review. People are honest on Twitter and it's all good. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just surprised I'm not on Twitter. Yeah. So I don't oh, think I've yeah. ever heard this. People always say what they feel oh, on fun. Twitter. Yes. So these are, it's the truest review you can get. <laughs> so rather be reading said, I just finished The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna and have been sitting here ugly crying for the past 20 minutes. It was beautiful. <laughs> At Liz alum said, just read The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. I loved it with my whole heart. Thanks, R. Witherspoon, for the recommendation. That would be Reese Witherspoon. And Neely Newborn said, wow, you should read Kristen Hanna's Nightingale. As I finished it, I cried like a baby and moaned like a wolf all night. <laughs> Sorry, neighbors. <laughs> so you. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> so you didn't set, I know you didn't set out to make people cry, but did you cry while writing it? You know, it's interesting. I get asked that a lot, and I've written a lot of books that have some sad elements in them, and generally I don't. But this particular book, um, no matter how many times I read it, the last, you know, 50 or 75 pages were really difficult. Even knowing what was coming and, you know, having read it, you know, a dozen times, it always really affected me. And that's when I knew that readers were going to really respond to it. So they say there's if there's no tears in the writer. Isn't there a quote, no tears in the writer, no tears? Do you find that always to be true? I don't find that true. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, generally as a writer, me personally, I'm really in control. I'm much more, you know, the director standing back, looking at it from a distance, trying to make sure everything, you know, was right. And I think the fact that this story is historical, so it wasn't just made up in my own mind, this the women that inspired this novel lived these events and many of them, you know, paid with their lives. And so I think it just really affected me more than most of them. And because a lot of the sort of angst at the end is about motherhood, that's a really close mm -hmm. subject to me and um, makes me really emotional. So we will talk more about the nightingale we'll delve into it but before we do that um i would love to talk about your story because it is so inspiring to me and so inspiring to many people it could be a novel in itself <laughs> um but you were born in southern california i was and when you were eight years old with your mom dad younger brother younger sister you hopped in a VW, it was a VW, right? VW bus with flower decals on the side and curtains on the window, yes. I love it, and drove <laughs> around, well you didn't drive, but your dad yep. or mom drove around looking for another place to live, so they were true hippie free spirit. You know, my dad is still on um, a sort of adventurous quest, and he... Um, 
instilled that in all of us. And so, you know, we jumped in this Volkswagen bus for six weeks and our job was to find the place that spoke to us, that we would relocate to. And um, we ended up in Western Washington after going through, I think, something like 16 states. So at eight years old, were they like, Kristen, does Washington speak to you? You know, I, I think we all felt it when we pulled into Washington and the trees were so big and they were so green and, you know, the ocean was beautiful and it was very rugged and there weren't many people there. And, you know, I think it spoke to all of us. Now, it could be just that... After this, you know, little Miss Sunshine trip of ours, we were exhausted. And this was as far as we could go without Alaska, you know. (laughs) But yeah, I think it I think it did speak to all of us. And with the exception of my sister, who's moved down here, we all still live Mm -hmm. there. It's a beautiful state. Um, Where do your parents fall kind of in that World War Two generation? Are they, they must have been too young. Too, my parents were too okay, young. Yeah. yeah, they were right, you know, sort of in between. Um, my dad was in the military, okay. but he didn't go to World War II. And in fact, I don't have um, any relatives. I was going to ask, okay. Yeah, we're a very small family. And um, so it was really interesting for me to sort of delve into so many other family stories. So you don't have, so your grandparents obviously weren't. No. That, yeah. My grandfather was Canadian, and um, on the other side of the, the family, they died very young. Okay. Um, so were you always... I, I found conflicting things. I had read that you were a World War II buff, and then I read that not so much, but when you started researching Winter Garden, you really... Well, I've always been a World War II reader. I mean, I think there's something so compelling about that for any reader. You know, it's the ultimate sort of good versus evil and, you know, heroism, bravery, evil, all that. Um, So I've always been a World War II fan. I Like so many people, I had never really considered the fact that women are completely underrepresented in World War II. And so when I was researching Winter Garden about five years ago, which is set in um, World War II Russia, I came across the story that essentially inspired the Nightingale, and that was a memoir of a 19-year-old um, Belgian woman who created um, the, one of the first escape routes for downed airmen. And what surprised me most of all was that I didn't know this story. And I felt that with as well-read as I was, I should have known it. And so that sort of is what started my quest and, and made me really delve into the French resistance. Okay, so um, going back to you, you grew up in Washington. After college, you worked in advertising and then went to law school. And in your last year of law school, um, you were complaining about your corporate tax class, which is a reasonable things to complain about um and to your mom and she said well you're going to be a writer and that shocked you well I had never written a short story I had never taken a creative writing class I had no interest in being a writer that I was aware of but I was a huge reader and I think of course now that I'm a mother myself I know that we just know our children very well and I think on top of that my mom like most of the women of her generation married very young. She had three children very quickly. And I think that in retrospect, being a writer was a dream of hers for herself. And she sort of passed it along to me as well. And um, so I do kind of feel in a way like I'm doing it for both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and you did start writing something with her. She... I did when she was dying of breast cancer. That's when, you know, she said, let's write a book together. And I, you know, I jumped right in. Of course, I was young, 26. So I didn't realize that there were a lot of things that I should have been talking about. And so we did miss some of those moments, unfortunately. Um, but she started me on the path and, and that sort of is how it happened. And so you wanted to write horror. She wanted to write romance. And so were you sitting there in the in the hospital next to her bed and writing in longhand? You started doing research? No, what happened was, well, we did argue, of course, mother and daughter <laughs> about what kind of book to write. And um, she said, basically, I'm sick. I win. We're writing romance. And I said, <laughs> okay. And so in those days, this is pre-internet. So I would go to the library after day every day after law school and just Xerox pages and we would sit down you know next to her her um, hospital bed and come up with the plot come up with the characters see what the women would be wearing mostly all of this research I thought at the time was a way to keep a dialogue going you know to have something to talk about that wasn't all the sad things that were sort of the ghosts in the room and um, and then you know after she passed away I just sort of put it all away because I wasn't going to be a writer. I was a lawyer and I practiced law for a while. Um, and when I got pregnant, uh, I went into labor at 14 weeks and I was in bed for the duration. And you fished out that? I fished out that <laughs> book and thought, I'll just write a novel. How hard can it be? And my thought at the time was, I'll do this for five or six years, um, be home with my child, and then if it doesn't pan out, I'll go back to work. But you sold the book at... Fortunately, I did not have to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> and you sold the book when he was two years old yes. before schedule. Yes, a little um, early. And was that book similar to the one that you were writing no. with your mom? Okay. <laughs> Sadly, the one my mother and I devised was awful. And it took me many years to figure out how bad it was. And in fact, my husband is not allowed to have it published after I die. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to ever see it. <laughs> um. Do you think that um, the book that you, the first book that you did end up writing, was there any semblance of some of the things, not nope, even a little nothing, bit? <laughs> nothing stayed. How did you know? So you just kept writing. You just knew this was bad. I got to try well, something Well, what else, happened was story. I learned to write on this book. I kept fixing it, changing it, starting over, throwing things away, rewriting it. And I finally got to the point after about three years or two years, something like that, where I understood that I was a better writer than the plot that we had devised okay. and I could do better and that I would do better to take what I had learned and and write it um, write a book that had conflict okay <laughs> oh okay that's a major thing that was missing <laughs> it's a bit merry major <laughs> so you um, I know your dad you said rolled your rolled his eyes when you um, yeah. said you're gonna be a writer after advertising after a law so right. did anyone else ever have strong opinions about your career change that it obviously didn't discourage you but almost discourage you well I think when you decide when you give up the law and you decide that you're going to be a writer and a stay-at-home mom at the same time and especially if you decide to write a romance novel um, you you are very unlikely to be taken seriously by anyone that you know and you know, the way that you, I think, get past that is you keep doing it. You know, they all expect you to give up because people say all the time, I'm going to write a book. You know, when I get free time, I'm going to write a book too. 
And so the fact that I didn't give up and I just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing and getting rejected and, you know, trying again and entering contests, people ultimately, I think, begin to take you seriously that you want to be a writer and that, in fact, you are a writer. A very small percentage of them, I think, believe that you will succeed at it. And, um, and that's why, you know, you have to just keep going forward. I was lucky. My husband was hugely supportive and I had a very good circle of writer girlfriends that we all sort of started together as unpublished. And now we're all friends, you know, almost all of us are New York times bestselling authors. Wow. And so we've just been a really great support network. This successful group of friends. Yes. And look at you now. It's all the naysayers. There were any, um, so now we can go back to the Nightingale to everyone listening. Um, but again, your story is so inspiring and it's Thank so inspiring you. to me and I know to so many other people. Um, and so after you sold your first novel, you wrote a lot of other novels mm-hmm. in, in, you know, over, over 20 books that I can't wait to read every one of them. The best thing, I don't know where the heck I've been, but I finished reading the Nightingale and I was thinking, what else has this author written and I was so thrilled to find, to find out so many so many more I don't know where I've <laughs> been because everyone else seems to know all about you um so I can't wait to read them all and I hope Thank you'll you. come back and um well I would recommend the Winter Garden and Homefront would be the okay. two that I'd say start with okay from here. and then Firefly Lane and then Firefly is- Lane which is fairly iconic yeah okay um so now on to the Nightingale so you Starting with research, you discovered Andre de Jong. Am I pronouncing right. her name right? And the same thought. I'm thinking, how is this? How was this not already a movie? This is such an extraordinary story. Um, she, of course, was a young Belgian woman who saved a number of downed Allied airmen, getting them over the Pyrenees. And you, in the course of your research, went to France with your husband, mm-hmm. um, and climbed. Did you didn't get all the oh, way over? We didn't over. climb. <laughs> But you went up high. We went up high. <laughs> and the whole time were you thinking, I can't believe she did oh, this. It was shocking. And and not only does the you know the the steepness of the terrain and the difficulty of the landscape and the coldness, all of that, but then you're thinking they're in shoes that don't fit, they're in clothes that don't fit, they don't have food, and they don't know what's gonna be on the other side when they get there. It's just shocking. And and Um, the number of women who did this, who walked, you know, the airmen over this was just astounding to me. Right. She's not the only one, but she, right. She um, created the comet line, which they got hundreds of of these men over. Um, Was it, what does it look like? Like you're not climbing a mountain, but you're physically, what was it? It was a lot of like shale type of rock. And so I kept thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to step on that and you're just going to go sliding down. And it was very steep and there was a lot of like crevasses and a lot of running water and trees. And it was just really rugged and you couldn't see like like where you would find a trail. So obviously they figured it, you know, a trail through something, but it was just, you know, amazing. And then to have to do it a lot of times when it was snowy, you know, always at night, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we went up in, let's see, we were there in May and it was freezing cold up there. Freezing. Right. In May. In May. Right. So I, 
so many things that I read about her, she's always described as having bird-like features. Mm-hmm. So is that, and so they're doing this at night, is that how you came up with the nightingale? Actually, I think I came up with the nightingale because of Rosignolski's. I'm a skier oh. and I was used to the word and it was sort of in my mind and I wanted that kind of bird-like yes, imagery yes. like you're saying and so I think it all came together okay so there were no flying. other birds in the no. <laughs> in the running <laughs> my grandmother's maiden name is Rosignolo so as really? I'm reading this and so we're Italian and I'm reading this not that anybody cares about me but really quickly <laughs> um and I'm reading this and her name's Rosignolo and I I couldn't get over this and I was like is my grandmother the nightingale and <laughs> so I looked up you know what's nightingale in Italian and it's Usignolo with, oh, without really? the r yeah yeah so Oh, you know what? I know that because I have seen the Italian edition of the Nightingale. Oh, how funny. Well, there you go. So this was, there were so many signs in this book. I was like, this book is speaking to me directly. Um, And then, so there's the picture of the wall. Your website is wonderful, um, by the way. But there's the picture of the wall outside of the inspiration for Le Jardin. Am I pronouncing that Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it was so heartbreaking in the book when they tore down the wall the beautiful stone. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were writing it, were you, was this one of the moments you were crying? <laughs> nope. Um, it I was would, just so heartbreaking. Oh, there were just so, there were so many really difficult moments, you know, to write. And obviously I don't want to talk about individual stuff because maybe people haven't read it. But if you just look sort of historically at the challenges that the women faced, you know, in in small Nazi-occupied towns and, you know, the starvation and, and, you know, not feeling safe and trying to protect their children. And it really spoke to me as a mother, you know, trying to figure out how you keep your children safe in a time like this, how I, I think it's it's impossible to understand how you come to actually believe that that level of evil is going on around you. I mean, I think it's it's a slow process to understand exactly what's happening. And once you understand it, then you're really faced with the dark night of the soul, which is what do I do? You know, do I risk my life? Do I risk my child's life to save a stranger? What mm-hmm, do I do? Mm-hmm. And that to me is sort of the the crux of the nightingale. And I think that Again, coming back to the idea of women's history, we have been out there, we as women, have been out there making these kind of choices and doing these kinds of things Mm -hmm. in very dark times for years, and it isn't talked about. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really like about The Nightingale is I'm really hopeful that especially younger women can read this book and sort of get a broader worldview about you know the power of women and the courage of women and also to see what war means what hate means what intolerance means Mm -hmm. you know because we live in a dangerous world again Mm -hmm. it's amazing that um you know so many we see so many movies so many books about war where it's the men Mm -hmm. at war but you don't realize what's happening or you don't there are no stories about what's happening at home what the women are doing and the sacrifices how both of these women become heroes ultimately um but the wall was not to read too much into it but it was so symbolic to me of if you think this is heartbreaking as they're tearing down this beautiful aspect of the house like just just wait wait. (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) so that's really what i felt which came through um so 
Isabel, of course, is based on Andre de Jong. And Vianne's story, which I love that you made up her name. It's so beautiful. Oh, thank I, feel, you. I think it's going to be on the top of the, <laughs> the baby name list. Um, what she did for the Jewish children reminded me so much of Irina Sendler's story, mm-hmm. which is another story that they did make that play, right. Life in a Jar. But it's another story that I can't believe this is I know. not... This itself was not a, a feature film. Um, extraordinary story. There's a scene, so not to give too much away, but there's a scene where she's tearing pages out of the Bible to write mm-hmm. the children's name. And I was petrified in that scene. I know. And I know you're a Stephen King fan. Did you learn from reading him about writing techniques that create fear? Because that scene was terrifying. Well, the reason, I mean, I think a lot of that, um, and one of the things that helped me as a novelist in this book a lot, was you bring to this book your knowledge of what's going to happen, and you know more than what's actually happening on the page. I mean, she knows it's dangerous, but you really know how dangerous it is Mm -hmm. more than she understands at that situation. And it's like the same thing when she's writing down names. Oh, yeah. You know, there's all these moments where you're thinking, this isn't going to go well for you, Mm -hmm. you know. And it was fascinating with the, the, the Jewish children and the hiding of them and the saving of the families. You know, the people who did this, it wasn't just you risked your life to save them. Mm-hmm. You also had to think far enough in advance and, and ahead to think, okay, now how do I get these children back into their families when they don't remember them? Right. And what if I'm gone? Right. Or, you know, and so the, the whole, the complexity of how to get these children back into their families was really difficult. Yeah, it had, they had to be so ingenious. Yeah. Um, there were so many scenes that were so vivid and I I felt like I was there um you know some of the more challenging ones to read but also the the initial meeting of the Nazis where they collected the guns and the radios did you you read a ton of memoirs I know was that scene describes you know actually there there are very few if any scenes in this book that I didn't pull from someone's memoir or someone's story somewhere because I really wanted everything to be, you know, as close to true and accurate Mm -hmm. as it could be. So yeah, there were, uh, you know, I read a lot of scenes of, you know, when the occupiers came in and, you know, what happened and what they took away and how the French people, you know, put their guns in um, cans full of grease and buried them in the, you know, the ground and just tried to protect what they could not quite knowing how dangerous that was going to be, but certainly knowing that it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the scenes also from Ravens, uh, my second right, Ravensbrook. Um, did you have to go back to the memoirs to say, like, what were the sounds, the smells, mm-hmm. the sights? You're probably always referring. And you know, it's so because it's so um, foreign to us. It is so foreign, and it's so difficult. Even as you're writing it, it's so difficult to sort of comprehend that man can do this, you know, to man sort of thing, or to women, as it turns out. And you know, we've all read so much about concentration camps and about the Holocaust. I really wanted to try to bring in scenes or moments that we hadn't seen before. Um, 
primarily that were specific to women as I, as I could. And that, um, you know, is difficult. And then you have to describe those scenes, which just break your heart. Right. Heartbreaking. Um, that's why people are crying and <laughs> wailing like wolves. Um, I also read that you, going in, you knew that the, the character, one of the characters would be standing before the families of the saved men at the end. But you didn't know which woman it would be until you wrote the final scene. Yep. So my genius carefully crafted question said, this is really? <laughs> I know. Actually, um, there were three choices in my mind on who the, oh. who the narrator was. And I didn't decide until I got to page 600 and needed to put in a name. Wow. And then once I picked it, I did have to go back and, you know, do some sort of massaging of various scenes. But I just wrote it so that um, it could be either... Because it's any of them. so brilliantly constructed that I got, I, I couldn't, I didn't guess it when I got to the end, but when I got to the end, I thought, of course, <laughs> of course it had to be her. And, and the karmic retribution, I don't want to give too much away of the son and what a good mm-hmm. man he became. Yes. It's so perfect. Um, so as far as writing advice, would you advise people to just go with it? That sometimes the story, t- you're, you're telling the story, but sometimes the story tells you. You know, the thing about writing and that I love so much is there are a million ways to go about mm. it. You know, some people feel almost like conduits that that stories are magical things that they just try to get a hold of. For me, it's a little more um, nuts and bolts than that. I think it's because I'm a lawyer mm. and I think that it's it's deeply embedded in me to control the scenario, to mm-hmm. be the puppet master, you know, to pay attention to everything, which is not to say I don't occasionally um, surprise myself mm-hmm. or, you know, follow unexpected leads, but I do it very carefully. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as advice, my advice is that if you feel a need to write and you want to be a writer, then you need to actually write. Mm-hmm. And you write in longhand. I do write in longhand. Do you have hand. a storage locker filled with I legal do. pads? I do. I do. And of course, I still use, you know, yellow legal pads, yes, you of know, course. and a certain kind of felt pen. And I still use all my edits, notes, and remarks exactly the way I did when I was writing yeah. briefs. Like stat you know, yeah. and <laughs> move this here, move this here. Do you ever find? So, do you outline beforehand? Um. I used to. For years and years I did. I don't anymore. As the books have gotten more and more complex, the way I do it is more, I come up with the characters, I come up with the setting, I come up with the conflict, and I write a hundred pages, and I see what interests me enough. And then I start over, and I I write a new hundred pages, and I see what interests me, and then I write over, and then I go to 200 and I just keep paring it down and moving it to find um, what actually compels me. And I try as much as I can throughout each of those drafts to surprise myself, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of think what would I want if I were a reader as opposed to doing the more expected thing. Right. Do you ever um, find it unwieldy? Like um, It's always so unwieldy. Much- <laughs> 
It's always unwieldy. I can't imagine writing this and trying to get all of the history right and then match it up with what's happening to them. Well, what I had to do with this book, um, and this is different than most of them, but I had to write an actual entire draft of the book that went scene by scene historically. And the two women were almost Mm stand-ins. It's almost like a just like a players on the board. Mm -hmm. And then once I knew what the arc of the story was historically, then I set back, you know, set out to create real women. Okay. Um, So some of the scenes were um, hard to read, but important and necessary to the story. Never gratuitous in any way. Always so well done. I don't want to give too much away, but the really hard one. So not breaking down the wall, though, that was hard for me. (laughs) And symbolic, but some of the really, you know, at Ravensbrook, at Le Jardin, um, I imagine they were hard for you. Did you have a strategy for going about it? You know, it was really the strategy, like one of the scenes that was difficult to do. Some were difficult emotionally, Mm -hmm. and that would be like there were some scenes with Daniel at the Mm -hmm. end of the book that Mm -hmm. were very difficult emotionally. There were scenes with Isabel that were difficult emotionally. Um, There were some deaths that were difficult. But probably the most difficult scene to write from a writing standpoint was when Isabel is being questioned after Mm -hmm. she's caught. And, um, you know, there's torture going on and there's, you know, really difficult questioning going on. And I wanted to get it absolutely right, to not be gratuitous, to make you understand, you know, how heroic she's mm-hmm. being, but not make her superhuman. Right. And to, be, to make you be able to see things that you really don't want to see. So that was kind of a fine line. So did you have to write that scene or any scenes over and over again. Oh, I write all <laughs> of it over and over. Yeah. Because I tend to write it really um, overdrawn, overblown and, and melodramatic oh, okay. at the first. And I just let it be not good. Uh-huh. And then I pare it away and kind of sculpt it to something better. Oh, that's a great technique. Um, your web, I just love your website. And there's a great book club question hmm. um, regarding Beck. And he's okay. such a such a, a great character so if i could ask you your book club okay. question oh <laughs> is he a sympathetic character and well you know i think i think yes he is a sympathetic character and of course that was risky you know it's easy to make um von richter for example the nazi um you know basically pure evil that's easy so i wanted beck to be more human whether he's sympathetic in total i am unconvinced about i think he is definitely a sympathetic character through vian's eyes Mm -hmm. and i think he genuinely wanted to help her and he genuinely liked her and he genuinely thought of himself as a good man and yet, you know, we also have the scene where his office is full of food mm-hmm. and everyone's starving and he's, you know, holding the whip on the train platform. And, you know, I did feel that ultimately there was a very good question about, you know, would he have chosen his career over them if if he caught them and if he had to mm-hmm. give up the women? I think he would have given them up. Right. So... Which makes him so real. 
that he was so Well, that's what I wanted because we just didn't, we, you know, a lot of times I just thought there had to be, you know, men who were as caught up in mm-hmm. this as everything else. Mm-hmm. He made me think so much um, about, I'd heard a, a Vietnam soldier, you know, a U.S. soldier who had killed someone during the war an enemy soldier and he lifted his um, helmet and there were a pic- there was a picture of the man's husband and son or husband and I mean a, a wife, wife and child yeah. <laughs> um, and it just made him think that mm-hmm. we're all human what we all want doing. the same right. thing we all just want everyone we mm-hmm. love to be healthy and happy and then there are these people who are conducting Mm-hmm. the puppeteers at the top and everyone else just wants the same thing and that's what I was thinking the whole time with Beck he really is so real he's uh, I thought he was ultimately a good person but I think I think he did deserve his fate and the same thing with Vianne you know she came to her heroism slowly mm-hmm. you know she really did not want to jump into the fray the way she did and I think that is very real too especially for a mother it was easy for Isabel Mm -hmm. she's 18 years old she thinks it's an adventure she's not paying attention Mm -hmm. you know Um, whereas Vianne she knows exactly what she's doing Mm -hmm. and I think that's a lot more dangerous and I think it's easy in these conflicts and frankly we see it in the world right now it's easier to just say it's not my problem Mm -hmm. you know not in my backyard are you ever tempted to um give the characters what they want at the end so at the end after all you know after everything that happened with Rachel and Sarah and everything that happened to Vianne did you ever want to I don't want to give too much away but let her get what she wanted as far with Ari slash Daniel you know of course I mean, you know, you always want, and and there are several of my books that have um, endings. Winter Garden is one of them where I knew that I would take a hit from the critics or the reviewers for ending a book on a more hopeful note. But I just felt after so much pain and angst, you know, we needed something. And I actually believe personally that The Nightingale is a truly or has a truly uplifting ending. I mean, I I really think that Vianne ends this book knowing, and Isabel ends this book knowing what their life was about, what they sacrificed for, and what they believed in. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It was stunning. Is there anything else you want to say about it? No, I am just so thrilled that the book is um, is getting the response that it's getting because I really think, like we were speaking about before, that it is time for women's history to mm-hmm. come into the forefront and it's time for women to be able to make comments about the price of war because whatever it is, wherever it is, um, wives and mothers and sisters are paying the price right. also. And so our voice, I think, needs to be heard too. Right. My um, grandparents got married in April of 1941, oh, and my kidding. grandfather was drafted a month later, and they didn't see each other for four and a half years. And I, as I was reading this book, I was, you know, we, we'd, I wish we'd asked them more questions, but mm-hmm. we'd always heard about his time, and he was in London, he was in Paris. But I want, I wish I knew more, but this book made me think more about what my grandmother went through. There was mm-hmm. no internet. There was no... Right, no. And she just 
probably suffered for four mm-hmm. and a half years just the not knowing. And um, this book just made me think and of her you know a lot. What else She's the resignolo. It's important, too, that we ask the questions of our family members yes. that we can. Because a lot of this gr- the greatest generation, they com- came home from World War II, and they didn't want to talk about right. it. They wanted to become Americans. You know, they did, wanted to put away what they had done or what they had seen. And so those stories are lost. Right. What's the... Um, status of the movie well it seems to be going forward beautifully i have a brilliant team of women working on it right now woman writer we have a woman producer we have a woman studio head um so it's just really in fact we had a meeting just last week um or you know here in la and it was so exciting and the energy was so high so Will it be a woman director? I don't know. We'll see. Very nice. Oh, I cannot wait. And I hope you'll come back and be on Popcorn Talk. Uh, I would love to. Which is our movie channel. (laughs) So what are you working on now in long hands? (laughs) Uh, I'm working on a book right now that's set in the 70s about um, a young woman's coming of age in a really difficult time. And so we'll see. Nice. Well, thank you so much. Where can everyone find you? You're not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I am on Facebook and I do have a website and um, I guess that's where they can find me. Okay. So it's (laughs) KristenHanna.com. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, KristenHanna.com. And they can just search Kristen Hanna to get your Facebook page. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening on iTunes and watching us on YouTube. And this is Book Circle Online. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.